This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome back to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Glad you're with me as I get ready to preview week 13 in the National Football League. And it starts with what promises to be a good one, or at least what threatens to be a good one tonight. The Bills and New England. The Bills are three and a half point favorites here at Bet Rivers. And They've been a good team this year, but they've, they've waffled with the spread. They're five, five and one against the number this year. And recent trends haven't been going well for the Bills. They failed to cover on Thanksgiving. The hook scares me in this one. Bill Belichick finds a way to defend. And I just, I, I can't, I can't take the favorite this time. I'm tired of taking the Bills. So I'm going to stay off of this thing tonight. I'm not playing. I'm just going to watch and hope to be very entertained because you have some terrific players, some players who are the best at their positions or in the conversation for such this season. And it starts with Josh Allen. He's not going to win the MVP as he was favored to do, but he's still having a very, very good season. And it's one of the NFL's brightest stars. And how can you not like, if you like the passing game, you got to like the bills. They got, they got Stephon Diggs. They've got a tight end they trust. It's a pretty deep offense without the benefit of a great running game unless their quarterback tucks it away and takes his 12 to 15 hits per game. On the other side of the ball, Matthew Judon of the Patriots, um, fifth-round pick of the Ravens a few years ago, had a nice start to his NFL career there. Then he took the big money from New England, and he leads the NFL in sacks with 13 It seems a foregone conclusion Micah Parsons of the Cowboys will win Defensive Player of the Year honors, and so far he's earned that. But Judon is going to become a part of some rarefied air very soon. He's likely to finish the season with more than 20 sacks. And since they started keeping track of sacks as an official league stat, and that was in 1982, there have only been a few guys who have eclipsed 20 in a season. Um, Watt did it last year for the for the Steelers. I, I, I he's got to be again being considered. I, I it's probably going to go to Parsons, and he has another nationally televised game on Christmas Eve, and that's a divisional game. And if he shines there, Parsons is going to win that award. Enough about awards. Let's talk about the Bears and Packers at Soldier Field on Sunday, and it is expected at least the word out of Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers is going to go sore ribs, uh, the thumb, bruised ego, all of the things that are ailing the MVP. Uh, it just, 
it's tough for me to go against Rodgers. I, and I don't care what kind of problems he's had this year. If you rewind to week two when they met at Lambeau Field, Rodgers was pretty good. He, he hit a high percentage of his passes, 19 out of 24, if memory serves, for 234 yards, two touchdowns. He was not intercepted. But uh, truthfully, even if it's Jordan Love, the future in Green Bay, I like the Packers. I have all the confidence in the world the Bears' defense can be just as bad for Jordan Love as it was for Mike White last weekend against the Jets. Mike White sparkled in that game. He wasn't just a passenger. He was outstanding. So why not Why not Jordan Love? <laughs> Do you remember just five seasons ago, by the way, when in the second meeting between the Bears and Packers, Brett Hundley, who had all of, I think, Nine starts in his NFL career, which spanned three seasons. This dude came to Chicago and and beat the Bears. Uh, 212 yards. It wasn't a prolific passing day for, for Hundley, but he wasn't intercepted. And the Bears didn't get to him very much as well. The Bears fell to three and six. And that's on the 12th of November, just five seasons ago. Nine career starts. But he beat the Bears on the road to keep the Packers' dominance in the last 30 years intact. It wasn't 30 at the time. This is now year 31 in the era of Green Bay football with Favre and then the subsequent torch passing to Aaron Rodgers. I went over the numbers earlier this year. For those of you who didn't catch that podcast, or even if you did, here's the refresher course on it quickly. If Green Bay wins Sunday, this will be the 18th time They've won both meetings annually with the Bears over 31 years. The Bears the Bears only have beaten Green Bay 15 times in the last 61 meetings. And when the Packers win, they often win by blowout. They've won 20 games of their 46 by 17 points, I'm sorry, by 14 points or more, including this year's meeting. Earlier in the season, the Bears have only won both games in the series twice in the last 31 years. Both of them, Lovey Smith coach teams, it happened in 05 and again in 07. But looking at these uh, these numbers since 92, and Favre started 13 games for the Packers in 92, it is anything but a rivalry. It is, it's bad. I mean, again, hammer and nail. The nail may hate the hammer, but he cannot say, I have rivalry. Green Bay hasn't covered much lately. The Packers are two and seven against the spread in their last nine. And in those nine, the over has paid off six of those times, six of nine. The Bears, on the other hand, have gone over six straight games, even though they only put up 10 last weekend. The Jets putting 31 on the board was enough to push that game over. Fortunately, it was one of my few winners last weekend, and I only play a few games. The Bears also have been bad against NFC North opponents in their last eight games against divisional rivals. They've covered only once. They're one in five against the spread in their last five starts. The Packers have covered seven straight against the Bears, and the Packers have won 11 of the last 12 meetings. Whether it's Fields, 
Trevor Simeon or the 28-year-old practice squad player they just picked up off the Detroit roster, uh, an, an undrafted guy out of Eastern Kentucky whose name is escaping me right now because I didn't write it down. But their signee this week to be the emergency man if uh, if Nathan Peterman is called upon. If, uh, oh man, it's just, uh, it, it's ugly after fields. But there is so much more to watch for me. And I think it ought to be if you're a real Bears fan. And I hate when, I hate when sports yackers, and I'm going to be guilty of it right now. And that's okay for me. Um, we all find a way to justify our behaviors, don't we? When, when you say you don't care about the record, I understand that. But when you say, moving up higher in the draft is more important to you than seeing the development of core players, guys who are going to be here in two years. They have to start making plays. That's undeniable. You're going to have a top five, top six, seven pick. That's going to be worth a lot. If you want to trade down for more picks, you still got tremendous value at six or seven. And I personally, I think they're going to finish with a worse record. I think they'll be top five. But I'm I'm not as desirous. In, you know, were I an ardent Bears fan, I would not be as desirous of picking second or third as I am seeing Chase Claypool and Valus Jones Jr. making more plays offensively. Cole Komet has been good, but can he go next level? Can you get Cole Komet to to be a top five tight end in the league? It, it's been a good era for tight ends. With Travis Kelsey, top of the heap in Kansas City, and George Kittle is not having an amazing year, but he's still a very, very productive football player. There are good tight ends in this league. Darren Waller has fallen apart with the Raiders, but still, it's a league where you have they got the Schultz in Dallas. You have, when he's healthy, Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia. The Bills tight end, Dawson Knox, he's a reasonably good player. When can Cole Komet jump to that level? The level to which Kyle Pitts was ascending with the Falcons before the sophomore jinx hit him this year. But uh, to me, that's as important as anything for the Bears. To get these young players to make plays, it's, yeah, you'd like to pick high. But don't you want to see Justin Fields author a few fourth quarter comebacks or at least at the minimum successfully protect a 14 point lead at home when you have the football? I don't think enough attention has been paid to how colossally disappointing and disheartening as that Detroit loss should still be. If you're a Bears fan, you had the ball in a two touchdown lead early fourth quarter, and you lost the game. You know, yeah, you get you a higher draft pick because you lost. But really, you're okay with not seeing progress, not seeing a team salt away a victory, especially a team that leads the NFL in rushing. You're the number one rushing team in the league, and you've got the ball. Oh, oh man. Start the postgame party early. When you when you can do that, and the Bears haven't done it, pissed away a 10-point lead against the Falcons, not good enough. I'm taking the Packers. If it's four and a half, it's, if it's five and a half, I don't care if Fields goes against Jordan Love. I will take Green Bay. 
Not not a lot. Not a lot. You know, put a, a lunch money. Good lunch. Nice lunch. Lunch at Doc's smoked meats in Dyer, Indiana. Uh, I'd do that. Uh, I'll do that with you. Not with you. I learned a long time ago. Don't uh, don't make wagers with your 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 customers. Uh, I, I will get to some other games in the NFL that are very, very exciting in just a few minutes. I think week 13 has some really good individual in division matchups and also a few out of division games that are very, very exciting potentially. And I want to get to those in just a few minutes after our guest. My pleasure right now to bring in the company of a guy who played in the National Football League for 15 years, and these days he shares his NFL insight with fans of the Broncos in Denver on the fan between 11 and 2. Brandon Stokely, the star out of Louisiana Lafayette and former Super Bowl hero. Good to have you on board. Thanks for your time, Pete Stokes. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that introduction, um, and, and thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. You bet. You know, every year the NFL gives us surprises. Let's start with something on the positive. I don't know what the odds would have been if you would have said, hey, the Jets and Giants both in the early part of December are going to be in the playoff hunt, but here they are. What are your thoughts on both of those teams, and can either of them be taken seriously once we get to January? Well, uh, not really. Right now, I believe more in the Jets than I do the Giants. Um, and, and you look at the, the change of quarterback and what Mike White did for him uh, last week. And, you know, this, can he continue? Uh, they got a good roster around him. I think their roster is a little bit better than the Giants right now. Um, Giants, obviously, uh, a tough division, uh, especially with Washington doing what they've been doing here. And I think they play the Giants two more times um, here at the at the tail end of the season. So, um, I think their their road's a little bit more difficult. I mean, the Jets look at me, look at their division. I mean, it's a tough division, also. Uh, but I believe more in the New York Jets right now than I do the Giants. But both of those um, teams, I, I think they surprise a lot of people. Certainly, they surprised me this year. You know, when we look back to August, and all of us so-called experts are asked to make our divisional picks and and uh, playoff, uh, you know how that's going to shake out. Everybody said the worst division in football is the NFC East. You circle Philadelphia, and everybody says it's by default. But if the season ended today, all four would be in the playoffs. What Ron Rivera has done with the Commanders is just totally remarkable. It, it really is. Um, you know, and, and you look at their quarterback, Taylor Heineke. Um, you know, he doesn't do anything sexy. Uh, nothing really jumps out. The guy just wins, and his teammates love uh, playing for him and playing with him. You can tell that, and they rally around him. He's got that blue-collar nature to him, uh, and they got a nasty defense, and that defensive front, especially uh, once Chase Young comes back, oh, my gosh, um, they can flat-out get after you and make life miserable for you offensively. Uh, so if you can just make a few plays, um, if you're Washington offensively and not turn the football over, you're going to be in every football game and have a chance to win in the end. And that's what Heineke has done. He's found ways to win those football games in the end. That's what your football team in Baltimore did, I think, in your second year in the league with Trent Dilfer at the wheel, Super Bowl 35. You guys destroy the Giants in Tampa. And, and I get slightly offended when I hear people reference Trent as a guy who was just a passenger. 
He took care of the football. Yeah, it was a running team primarily, and yes, its success was predicated more on defense. But you're an idiot if you don't think Trent Dilfer didn't have something to do with that title. Absolutely. Um, you know, he was a big part of it. And it's, it's, you know, it's not always what you do in between the, the, the white lines on Sundays. It's, it's during the week, and it's the belief that, that, that your teammates have in you. Uh, and Trent was just that guy. And you loved playing with him. You loved playing for him. And you look at a guy like Taylor Heineke, and I can look at Trent Dilfer and say, you know, they're similar quarterbacks in that regard. Uh, right. And, you know, whether you want to call them a game manager or whatever, look, they're good quarterbacks and they're finding ways to win football games. That's what it's all about is is winning football games. And and certainly Trent Dilfer did it for us in, in Baltimore. And that was a fun ride. And you're watching a guy like Taylor Heineke uh, figure it out in, in Washington. I've covered a bunch of these Super Bowls during media hype week, and something that struck me about your Ravens team, and I know it's a long time ago now, but I want you to to jog your memory here. I don't think I've ever seen a team take over a Super Bowl city from the moment it stepped off the plane the way the Ravens did in 2000. And and to me, a lot of that was a reflection of the head coach. I've gotten to know Brian Billick a little bit over the years. He's he's incredibly arrogant, <laughs> but I want my head coach and my quarterback to be arrogant. I want them to exude confidence. Did you guys know early that week that it was going to be as ridiculously lopsided as it wound up being? You know, we had some characters, some personalities that kept things light, and we had fun, and no one expected us to be in that position. Um, and and so we just got on a run. And you look at, you know, Sarah Goose uh, and some of these personalities that we had on that football team. It was just like, all right, let's just go play and have fun. Our defense is going to kick ass, and, you know, offense just don't screw it up. And, uh, and, and we just were having fun, finding different ways to win football games. And, and certainly when we got to ball, um, excuse me, when we got to Tampa for the Super Bowl, look, we were just a confident bunch. We felt like we were prepared. We felt like if we went down there and we played our game, no one could beat us. Um, and offense just don't screw it up. Our defense is going to ball out. And, um, and, and that was our mindset, but no, I, you know, I didn't have that feeling that, um, you know, we were, we were overconfident going into that game. Um, the message was sent early on that, Hey, you know, from some of the veteran guys like Tony Saragusa that, Hey, listen, you know, I've been playing this league for a long time. I've never had this opportunity and I might not ever get this opportunity again. Let's take advantage of it. You know, let's not screw this thing up. And I remember being, you know, in my second year in the NFL thinking this might be it for me. You hear the Dan Marino story. He got to the Super Bowl, never got back in his second year, rookie year, whatever year it was. And um, so I didn't, I, I, I never dreamt of being in the stinking Super Bowl. And there I was my second year. I could not believe it. I wanted to win it. And we were focused. We were, we were loose, focused, and uh, we were having a good time. We were confident bunch. Uh, but certainly Brian Billick, yeah, we, you know, he was arrogant. He was cocky. I never heard so many swear words in my life, you know, and I'm from down south Louisiana. I never got cussed out so many times. He cussed me out so many times. I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, but he was fun to play for. And, yeah, he was He was that, you know, he liked that. And we took kind of um, that over from him and uh, and just kind of rolled with it. Let's get back to football in 2022. One of the divisions that was promised to be a good one was the AFC West. The Chiefs are the only team that's done their part. What in the heck has gone wrong in Denver? 
Oh my goodness! How 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 long do we have here? Uh, because look, this this could be like uh, you know all night. Uh, it's 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 just been a complete disaster, and that's being nice. It's been so bad. And you're right, the AFC West it stinks. The Raiders stink. The Broncos stink, and the Chargers are just average. Uh, and the Chiefs are the Chiefs. They're balling, uh, and they they're a good football team. Uh, but the but I thought the Chargers would be much better this year. Certainly, the injuries have hurt them. Um, but I, I don't think anyone's holding out hope that they're going to make some, that they're going to go on some great run. So yeah, the, the AFC West has fallen, uh, quickly on its face this year and it starts with the Denver Broncos. Um, and that starts with Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. It just hasn't been good enough from the handling of training camp and how they practice and went about their business way too easy, way too soft. Um, and, and, and you, you got to work hard. Offensive football is not easy in the NFL. You know, I come from the Peyton Manning school of offense, and it's grinding, and it's tough, and and it wasn't tough for them. And so I think they're paying the price for that a little bit, and they're paying the price for a young head coach um, that's just trying to find his way. And it's just been a complete disaster. Um, the defense has been okay, but offensively, I mean, it's been bad around here, you know, since Peyton Manning left in 2015. Um, but it, And the expectations were so high this year. Finally got a quarterback since Peyton Man. This is going to be our guy. And it's been worse than ever. It's been worse than ever. It's, it's been an absolute disaster because the expectations were high. And it's been, I mean, they're the worst scoring offense in the NFL. How does that happen? And then you paid Russell Wilson a ton of money. It's just like the, the more you talk about it, the more frustrating it gets for Broncos fans. And, you know, I don't know what they can do to remedy this situation. Russell's got to play better. And the concern here is, you know, is he done? Is he, is he, has he reached his, you know, uh, is he, is he on the downside of his career and was Seattle right uh, about Russell all along? I understood the trade. What didn't make sense to me was the $165 million they guaranteed Russell. He has to quarterback them for the next couple of years from a salary cap management standpoint, doesn't he? Yeah, the, the, that's you know that was the that was the big kicker there. You know, you could kind of look at it and say, all right, you know, maybe we can get out of this thing in a year or two, um, and it costs us some draft picks. But the contract, and now it's going to be tough to build that football team around him because of of all the money that you're pouring into the quarterback position. I understood why they did it. Um, you know, usually, usually the longer you wait in these situations with quarterbacks, what happens? The more it costs you. Right, because you expected him to come here and play at a high level. He's played at a high level his whole career. So all of a sudden, he's playing at you know he's, he he looks like a a rookie seventh round draft pick. Uh, and who would have thought we would have saw that coming? So I understood why they did it. They didn't have to do it. Um, and so uh, unfortunately, it hasn't looked good. Hasn't aged well. But you know, Nathaniel Hackett. No one expects him to be back next year. Um, and so it's all about trying to find that coach that can get Russell Wilson playing at his you know previous level that's what it's going to be all about and so we'll see if that happens or not yeah one hit wonders as head coaches have been more prominent these last 20 years in the nfl it seems like every year somebody is is getting shown the door after just one year and you think hackett will be next you think he's gone yeah there's no chance there's there's zero percent chance he makes it to next year i mean it's been an absolute disaster um, and then you committed a lot to Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett's the offensive guy. He's the offensive coach. He's the coordinator. He's the one that put this offense together. So how can you sell to your fan base that, hey, we're going to try to do this again? 
Like, why? How? It's been it's been the worst that we've seen in um, since like the 1960 season or something with the Broncos. I mean, it's been that bad. I don't even know if they threw the football back then. So it's been so bad that you can't sell to this fan base that you're going to bring Nathaniel Hackett back again. There's just no chance of that happening. So it's going to be about going out, finding a veteran coach that knows how to handle Russell Wilson's personality and putting an offense in that's going to try to get the most out of Russell Wilson. Has Wilson lost the locker room? And if so, how does he win it back? You know, that's a that's a great question. Um, and I'm not sure of that. So it's hard for me to uh, say yes or no. You hear some speculating uh, speculation about maybe he's lost the locker room. And who knows? That might be one or two guys. you got a lot of guys in the locker room. Not everyone likes everyone. And some people, uh, for whatever reason, you know, don't get along. So I don't know if he's lost the locker room. Uh, he is a different dude, you know, and, and he is – uh, the Broncos have given him a lot uh, of access and a lot of things that the other guys don't get. And when you don't play well and you have your own office, you have, you know, a special access for your whole family out of training camp. And you got certain people that might be flying on the airplane and, and staying in hotels that the team are putting them up. And, you know, whether it be his masseuse, does he have his own quarterback coach? All these things now, guys start looking at you a little bit sideways like, dude, you're getting all this and you're playing like this? Come on. Uh-uh. And, and you, you heard some of that stuff come out in Seattle, uh, that he wasn't treated the same as some of those defensive guys and, and held to the same standard, And um, but, but they were winning. So you didn't hear about it at the time. You started hearing about it once he was gone. When you're losing and all those things that you're, you're, you're being given, um, certainly you'll have guys in that locker room that start looking at him a little bit differently, a little sideways, like, man, this ain't right. So um, right now, and if you keep losing, you know, you'll keep hearing more and more of this. When he was a special player, Russell Wilson was very good on the run, extending plays. Quarterbacks whose success is based primarily on their escapability and their running ability typically have had short shelf lives in this NFL. And where I'm going is here in Chicago with Justin Fields. There is an enormous amount of excitement. That seems to be the trend. Patrick Mahomes can run. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Johnson. It's becoming a long list of quarterbacks who are not just passers, but runners first primarily. How do you think that plays over over time, though? Do you think... Do you think a guy like Justin Fields has the potential to be a great quarterback five or six years from now? How does he develop as a passer? Um, certainly we, we see the, the legs and the mobility, and that's such a huge advantage for an offense um, to, to have that aspect where your quarterback all of a sudden, you're not going to always get open. Sometimes you're going to call the perfect thing and everyone's covered up. Can you make a play on third and five, third and six, and, and, and extend the drive and keep the drive going? Uh, that just kills the defense. And so when you have that advantage offensively, it, it's huge. Um, but that's the problem. Can you stay healthy? Uh, can you take the hits? And Russell's been able to do that for the majority of his career. Uh, so you got to be smart with it. Uh, but so I think it, it's the same time, you know, you have to be able to develop a passing game. And you look at Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and they had that great year where they were throwing it all around the yard and it looked great, but they got in the playoffs and just couldn't finish it off. And so um, I, I, I look at certain, when was the last mobile, mobile quarterback that won uh, a Super Bowl? I mean, you know, you just it just it just hasn't happened really. Um, so it's a tough thing to do. 
but it's a trend that's not going to go anywhere. This is a college game. This is a high school game. This is Pop Warner. This is what they're doing. They're in the shotgun running RPOs. You're looking for mobile quarterbacks, which I think is a, is, is a huge advantage. But the problem is, you know, the flip side, can you stay healthy? And then when they, you know, in the NFL, those defenders are so fast. When they keep you in the pocket, can you make a few plays in the pocket when the pressure's on, when you have to make them? Not, not when you're up by 13, but you're down by 10. Can you come back when they know you have to throw the football? The Bears have the Packers this week. Um, both quarterbacks, uncertain status, and how Bears fans, as meatballish as it is, would love to see Aaron Rodgers get his gut spilled on the playing surface at Soldier Field. What are your thoughts on what's gone down with Rodgers and the Packers this year, who were expected to run away and hide with the NFC North, and now they're looking at drafting in the first 10 or 12 picks? Yeah, humble pie. You know, the football gods don't like arrogance. Uh, arrogancy don't like uh, um, they'll, they'll make you pay the price for that uh, and, and I think with Green Bay it became that time where all of a sudden you know you're, you're making you're having a transition and you're paying Aaron Rodgers all this money and so you have to trade Devontae Adams you got some young guys around Aaron Rodgers where in the past it's been okay because you've had Devontae Adams and a couple other guys right uh, but all of a sudden you know those guys are gone and you have a lot of young guys, and it's just been, they've had some injuries. It's been difficult. But also on top of that, what did you do in the offseason? You know, did you did you grind through the offseason? Like I told you earlier, offensive football in the NFL is hard. You know, it's not easy. And you got to go out there day in and day out, and it starts in the offseason, right? That's when you start building the blocks for Sunday. When you get out there on Sunday, it becomes easy. You don't think about it because all that work you put in the offseason, well, they weren't doing that in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers wasn't there, right? <laughs> so uh, that makes it difficult on Sunday. That makes it difficult in the season, especially when you got a lot of changing parts and pieces like Green Bay does. Yeah, he's taken his share of beatings these last couple of years, and he's asked for it. I mean, his, his stance – on vaccinations, everything he's done has just, you get this impression looking at it from a distance, like the only person he gives a shit about is Aaron Rodgers. Well, you know, I don't know him, so it's hard for me to say that. You're a lot closer to the situation than I am over here in Denver, and y'all play him a couple times a year. He's been great. You know, he has been great. Um, and back-to-back uh, MVPs, right? I mean, I know he won it last year. I had Brady. Uh, I had Brady winning it last year, and I felt like I got hosed because he called out that one guy um, uh, that said he wasn't going to vote on him, vote for him because he got vaccinated. So I got totally screwed, so it flipped the script. So people started like, oh, no, we don't want to be part of that. So they, so they voted for him. But Brady was clearly the MVP last year, but I'm letting that go. I'm not, I'm not, it's not, it's not, it hasn't stuck with me. So, uh, but look, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's just a big, big slice of humble pie for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. A lot can happen between week 13 and the first Sunday in February. Tell me who, if not Kansas City versus Philadelphia this year. 49ers. Um, 49ers, look, I mean, they're playing good football right now. Their defense hasn't allowed a point in the second half of the last four games. I mean, I mean, come on. That is tough to do in today's NFL. That's almost impossible to do. So they're going to be in the mix. they got a really good defense. They can run the football. I think with Christian McCaffrey, the addition of him, if they can stay healthy, I think you're going to see that offense uh, with the veteran quarterback of Garoppolo be able to make enough plays where once they get in the playoff, they're going to be a tough out. Uh, Buffalo, can they stay healthy? 
Uh, you see the Von Miller injury. Obviously, that's a big deal. And then, you know, you look at Miami Dolphins. I'm like, he, they're kind of interesting to me because of the firepower that they have with Waddle and, and Tyree Kill. And you love how Tua's been playing. I didn't think Tua could do it. I, I was one of those. I didn't. I thought it was an awful pick. Um, but he, for the most part, besides the concussion that he had, he, he's staying healthy. Uh, and he's playing great football. What a great match with him and Mike McDaniel. So um, that, that's a, that's another team, I, I think, for me to watch that uh, that might be sneaky in the playoffs. Two questions to wrap it up, Brandon Stokely, and I appreciate your time. First one, personal. You know, you play 15 years in the NFL. Something tells me when you get up every morning, you wonder if everything's coming with you when your feet hit the floor. How's your body held up? Look, I feel pretty good, you know, for the most part. Um there's no complaints, really. You know, I played 15 years, but I actually only played five or six of them. So I, I was like hurt the other nine uh, seasons. So I don't know how I, how I got uh, 15 in. Uh, so, you know, I saved some of the pounding on my body because I was just usually sitting up in the training room getting uh, treatment. When you ever made a free agent visit to another city, did you ever fall asleep in the back of the plane and have to have the, the, the plane go back to the jetway so they can find out if you were medically all right? <laughs> Boy, what a shock. It's Odell Beckham, right? I mean, unbelievable. Like, what are we doing here? No, I hadn't had that happen. Uh, I haven't had that happen to me. It didn't happen to me. Um and it wasn't many teams that were courting me that 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 wanted me on free agent visits. Uh, so, uh, and certainly if they did, I was so excited to be wanted by a team that uh, I wasn't falling asleep. But I mean, what a story that is! And uh, it just never, like you said, it's Odell Beckham. I mean, it's always something. Yeah. Last thing, and I appreciate your time, B Stokes. I'm going to talk to Mark Schlereth in a couple of weeks. One of my one of my favorite Broncos of all time. Give me something about Schlereth the world doesn't know. Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I don't think there's anything that the world doesn't know about Mark. You just ask him and he'll, you know, he'll tell you. Uh, so every, everyone knows everything about Mark. And, uh, I, you know, we, we did get him this year in our, in our golf, uh, our, our, our work golf match. Um, and we finally beat him. So uh, that was uh, that was a big uh, a big deal around here at the, at our radio station. Um, I don't know. That's the thing about Mark. He's very open. He's not a private guy. You know, you can ask him how many surgeries he's had. You know, over his career, everyone knows. Uh, but but there is a rumor that he does count his wisdom teeth surgeries as one of those surgeries. You know, to go with the scopes of his knees. You know, he's like I had 125 surgeries when I played in the NFL. You know, and like. Well, Mark, you're not supposed to count the wisdom teeth as one of those. So I don't know. That's the rumor. That's one of the rumors in Denver. So. Oh, that's good. Try to get, Brandon, try to get that th confirmed. That's, that's awesome. Thanks a bunch for the time. Good luck to you and uh, good luck to the Broncos. There's a quarterback rich draft this year if they want to go that direction. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brandon. Take care. All right, buddy. All right. That's Brandon Stokely from The Fan in Denver. Some of the best games of the weekend, and you never thought you'd be saying that in September because we all thought the NFC East was going to be a pile of fecal stench. Uh, the, the Washington Commanders are at MetLife Stadium against the Giants, and uh, Ron Rivera, my pal Chico, uh, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I can't trust that. I... <laughs> 
I don't know if I'm going to play Brian Dable's Giants, but they run the ball very, very well. And it's not just Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones has had a sneaky good season. Hope Fandy's listening for that one. He loves that phrase. They stop the run very well. And that's what the Giants do best. I still can't. I think it'll be a low scoring game. The total is 40 and a half, but that's one of a couple of in-division games that should be good this weekend. One that is not expected to be good this weekend is the Seahawks and the defending world champion Super Bowl team. Yes, indeed do. It's the Rams at home, a seven and a half point dog against Pete Carroll's Seahawks. The team we thought, many of us thought, guilty as charged on my end, was going to wind up being one of Carroll's worst teams since he took over as headmaster there in uh, the Emerald City. It's It's been stunning what Geno Smith has been able to accomplish this year. He is he has just been terrific. I more than a, I think I saw the other day eight games with a passer rating of more than a hundred. Are you freaking kidding me? No Matthew Stafford for the Rams again. Aaron Donald is not expected to play in the game. The Rams are going to wind up, I think, with the and I have to look up the the worst record overall after a Super Bowl title. My apologies, I don't have that because I'm yapping about it right now. But I can tell you this, the last Super Bowl champion to have a losing season the following years, 20 years ago, the Buccaneers, after they pasted the Raiders in the Super Bowl in 0-2 under John Gruden, the following year, Tampa went 7-9. and That's the last team that went from hoisting the Lombardi Trophy to finishing with a record below 500. So it's it's been a while since that has happened. I don't know what the low water mark is, but the Rams are threatening. The Rams just might get there with their three wins, or is it four? Boy, obey oh, uh, Sean McVay, just uh, just a colossal disappointment this year. Among the noon games, uh, I mentioned Washington and the Giants, 325 on Sunday. This is a good one. The Chiefs are a two and a half point favorite at Cincinnati. The total is 52 and a half. And I understand why people would be expecting a lot of points in this game, especially if you looked at the brief history of the series. And I think the Chiefs are better defensively than people have given them credit for this year. When it's anytime someone's talking about the Chiefs, they're talking about Mahomes and Kelsey. That's it. That's who you talk about. I don't think Isaiah Pacheco is a household name just yet, and Chris Jones is the only guy on the defense who who has earned that, even though Nick Bolton leads the league in tackles or is among the top three. He's been up there all year. Terrific young player, linebacker out of Missouri for the Chiefs. Joe Burrow has played the Chiefs twice, and he's owned them. He's thrown for 348 yards average in the two games. He's won both games. He's only been intercepted one time with six touchdowns touchdowns against Kansas Kansas City. So Burrow is battle-tested against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point favorites in that one. Um, I, I expect that to be a real good football game. I'll be disappointed if it's not. And I I feel the same way about Miami and San Francisco. You might have heard Brandon Stokely just a few minutes back say he likes San Francisco more than the Eagles to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. San Francisco, a four-point favorite over Tua and the Dolphins. 
There are a lot more people jumping on the bandwagon of Tua Tagliavaiola as well as Jalen Hurts, and I admit that I was wrong on both. I didn't know how good Hurts was heading into this season. He's proved me wrong, and, and Tua, Tua has been outstanding for the Dolphins as well. Now, the Dolphins didn't score any second-half points last weekend as they cruised to an easy win against a lousy Houston team, but I still think... Um, I still think they're capable of putting a lot of points on the board. And the total in this one is 46 and a half. And the the 49ers, I don't think they've allowed a touchdown in the second half of any of their last four games. They have just been outstanding. And Debo Samuel is not right. But with the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey, I think I think San Francisco has enough firepower to get to the NFC championship game. If they played today, I would, I would take Philadelphia to win the game. Not sure what I would do with the number. Have to know what it is. I would guess the game being in Philadelphia as things stand today. It would be hard for me to see it going to San Francisco should, should Philly lose a few games, but, uh, I would I would pick the Eagles in that one right now. I, I need to see more consistency from the San Francisco offense. They had a three-week stretch when they were scoring more than 30, and then last week they put all of 13 on the board against the Rams defense. That is, their cars are running, as I like to say, getting ready for that offseason. I want to say thanks for listening to the podcast today. I've really enjoyed doing this, especially during football season. As you may know, football is is my favorite game, and it's the game that still makes me want to do this. And I am so grateful. Adam Delavitt, who was my my executive producer on the old Mac Yurko and Harry show on ESPN 1000 between 01 and around 05 or 06 before he was promoted to assistant program director, where he quickly earned the nickname Baby Capone. Uh, Adam, you seem down today. What's up? I'm fine. In a great mood. May fire an intern before it's all done. My guy, Baby Capone. That's how I gave him that nickname. And Sam Michael is our executive producer, thanking Brandon Stokely. You can follow him on Twitter at bstokely14. And Broncos fans know that's where they can go to get a very honest assessment. Nathaniel Hackett, out. Not a chance they bring him back. Stokely telling us today. I'll be back Monday for Bears and Packers review. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy all of the conference championship games this weekend. I don't expect much from Purdue against Ohio State, but the Boilermakers have nothing to lose. They're a more balanced offense than they were a year ago when I thought they were a more fun team to watch, and I like the running game. Go figure that one. I just thought David Bell was a very special player, and it's not translated into the NFL. He's yet to make a dent in Cleveland. But um, I hope it's a good football game. I'm not going to bet it, but I will watch. This is Purdue's first trip to – Lucas Oil Stadium to play in the Big Ten Championship game. And as a guy who grew up on Boilermaker football, I got to put the sweatshirt on on Saturday night. Have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves. Back Monday, hopefully, before uh, your lunch is served. And maybe you can listen to it on your lunch break. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast if you have not done so already. Thanks for listening. I'm Tail Lights for now. I'm Danny Mack. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mack Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. 